0: Hey friend, thanks for listening to the Fixate Phoenix podcast. We are praying that you are blessed by this week's message. If you would like to partner with the future of Fixate, you can visit fixatephx.com slash said. So today, um, it's not really a new series. In the next two weeks, I'm focused on talking about Fixate's mission and Fixate's vision. If you've been here any length of time, you've probably heard some form of the language that we use. But in my opinion, if I'm really 100% honest with you, um, my, my heart, I love communicating vision and a lot of people are really good at communicating vision. But what I feel like makes us intrinsically different is that I'm more passionate about communicating mission than I am vision. Anybody can talk about where they want to go. Very few can talk about how to get there. And here at our church, what we're focused on is our vision is to restore the gaze of humanity back to its creator. Trusting that when we do, the creator will create again in our lives as we fixate upon him. But very few can communicate how we do that. And here it's four words, depth, discipline, sacrifice and sustainability. This is what we we've built our sanctuary around is being a place of depth that leads to discipline that understands sacrifice and then lives sustainably. And today I'm going to be doing a deep dive into all of these things. But these words are not just words that we thought of when we got this building and figured out that we were going to do church. These words have been a part of the fabric of me and my wife's life since we've been in ministry together. And when we were leaning in to birth this church, this was the things that God was birthing in our lives as we were trying to figure out how the heck we were going to move cross country with two friends and pull this thing off. That was two years ago this week. And part of our journey, I have a a little picture collage. So if you're in the back, just get your bifocals out. Or if you're Keith, your binoculars or your readers. Our complaints pastor is in the house tonight as well. Back corner. if you have any complaints. But with that, I want to show you some pictures. So Trinity, will you throw one up there, the first one? This is the house that me and my wife moved from. It was the first house we lived as a married couple. The reason I show you this house is because if you actually look on the right corner of the house, there's a window there. That window was our home office where I would say me and Grace probably have hundreds of hours of trying to figure out how the heck we were supposed to plant a church. And so that very far right window was the very first place that Fixate's dream was birthed in a little town in Michigan called St. Joe. So this is the house that ultimately I flipped, uh, which is not fun. I promise don't fix up houses. It's not that cool. Uh, But I look at this story, and I look at that right window, and I know the prayers, the time, and the tension that I felt in that room. Let's go to the next slide. Some of you guys are like, wow, that's a nice bedroom. It's not mine. It is, but some the person sold it after me, and they staged it. That was not my room, but it does look good. I'm not going to lie. This is from Zillow. Hopefully, I can't get in trouble. If not, whatever. (laughs) The reason I show you this this picture is because that is exactly where our bed was. But if you look at where the rug is on the ground... If you've been through C3 or you know our story, um, I never struggled with sleep in my life until we started weighing this decision. Where that rug is is where I used to pace in the middle of the night trying to figure out how and why God would be calling us to a city and a place where we knew no one and had no connections, but we felt him leading. And exactly where that rug is is after I would get done pacing, I would just sit there and pray and be like, Lord, I need to know So a lot of our story is that bedroom at night, me pacing, and that office. Let's go to the next slide. Oh, it's loading. I know, Trinity. I know. (laughs) This is the first place we moved when we moved to Phoenix. Austin and Rachel aren't here. They were the friends that moved with us because their baby's not feeling good. But this is in North Phoenix, they call it. But it's actually Kierland. They just don't want to say that because people assume they're millionaires. And he's a doctor anyway. And they have seven dunas. Um, that's a type of stroller. It's kind of an inside joke. Anyway, so we, so we, we park our car. And I remember this is what we walked up to is living with our friends. We'd sold everything, just packed our RAV4, drove out here, and this was the door we walked through, the very first place that we lived, where it was just the first four of us before Justin got here a few months later. That is now almost two years ago to the day of us being here. Let's go to the next slide. I know it's loading, Trinity. This is my current home. Some of you guys are like, is that an animal head? Yes, it is. (laughs) It's, it's kind of a, uh, a keepsake of mine. Essentially, we helped build a church in Africa. I went out there. And then as part of like the dedication ceremony, they let us go on a hunt in which they cooked the whole animal for the entire church. And so I shot that in Uganda. Uh, no, I am not a crazy hunter like that. Some of you guys are like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, don't worry. That was a one-time thing. Um, however, this is the first sanctuary of Fixate. The first office space this is where every sermon that has been preached here has came from this room my wife sits on the left I sit on the right side when we first bought our house we essentially had one bed we had one extra bedroom that we were like man we're gonna have to have space where we can figure out how we're going to build this and so this bedroom I spend about 20 to 25 hours in a week praying reading studying and doing all things church planting let's go to the next photo don't worry. This is the first picture I ever took of this building, December twelfth, uh, twenty twenty-one, according to my camera roll. And me and Grace had, when we moved here, we felt like the Lord told us we were playing in downtown. So we just would drive around downtown, trying to figure out where are we going to put a church. And this is me reaching through the fence outside and taking a picture. You can go to the next. You can go to the next. Um, picture as well um this is the first time like i said i'm taking pictures and i am evaluating the building and looking and just how beautiful it is and it was at the time not being used for anything and when i took these pictures i it was a dream of man it would be sick to have a church here and now you guys are living in the fulfillment of that dream so i tell you these and show you these photos Because I think a lot of people have a disconnect when I talk about depth, discipline, sacrifice, and sustainability. If you noticed, the last photo was the church building. Before there was depth, discipline, sacrifice, and sustainability on this stage and in this room, there was depth, discipline, sacrifice, and sustainability in the home offices, in the bedroom, in the the restaurants, in the coffee shops, on the street corners. On the long car trip, back and forth, before there was anything that existed in the context of a constructed church building, there was a lifestyle of depth, discipline, sacrifice, and sustainability. The reason I tell you this is because I think a lot of us have compartmentalized what it means to do anything spiritual to a structured and rigid time frame on Sunday mornings in which God has given a sliver of our life in which we hope it will infect the the mass of it all instead of the realization that your depth, discipline, sacrifice, and sustainability is how you will own your moments, your interactions, your relationships, how you will own your calling, how you will own your career, how you will lead your families. See, depth, discipline, sacrifice, and sustainability is a mission, but it's also a vision it's a present day, but it's also a future. It's a challenge. It's a commitment. It's a realization. It's kind of a lot of things. And so when I talk about today, and really what I'm titling it, it is the fixated mission, what I'm t- why I'm titling it that is because to be fixated upon God requires components. And these components are what we're going to discuss today. So with that, let's jump into some scripture, if that's okay with you. I'm going to talk today out of Hebrews 12, 7 through verse 15. Before we read that exact passage, though, I want you to understand context. The context is this. Hebrews 11 is one of the most famous passages of scripture in the New Testament. Why is it famous? It starts with, you know, the famous uh, faith is the substance of things hoped for with the evidence of things not seen. And then it goes into this litany of characters and it says, by faith, and then it'll name one and name what they did. By faith, and then it'll name one and what they did. And this became what's kind of called, I guess you could say in church circles, the hall of faith. Where these men who had lived out this life of obedience to faith in God were remembered. And it wasn't just men, it was also women were remembered for the magnitude of obedience it took to be faithful to the call. The fun thing about it is I believe that as this, that letter was read out, Hebrews 11, people all stood in their pews and said, Man, I want to be like that. I want to be like Moses. I want to be like Deborah. As the names were read out of Abraham and and the names were read out of all of these characters and, and people who had done incredible things, I guarantee everybody is sitting in the crowd going, yes, amen, do it again, God. But here's the funny thing, Hebrews 11 is just this vision, 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 but Hebrews 12 is, this is how you do it. And that's why I love this passage, because once again, Hebrews 11 is, man, look at what these guys did. Do you think we could do it? Hebrews 12 is, hey, guess what? If you want to do it, this is how you do it. Let's read Hebrews 12, 7 through verse 15. It is for discipline that you endure. I mean, I could stop and just preach the rest of the afternoon on this. How do you endure discipline? James even says it best. He says, let endurance have its perfect result. There's no other mention of a perfect result in Scripture other than this connection to endurance. What does that mean? What does it mean to endure? I believe this is the day and age in which God is bringing forward a new standard of disciple. And the standard is this, resiliency. A resilient disciple, one who is disciplined in their rhythm and posture and resilient to circumstance, worldview, government and political structure or anything that has tried to press in, whether it's a, a brand or consumerism, whatever it is, resilient to the purity of what it means to be a follower of God. What I'm trying to get to today is that what in, the, in Hebrews 11 it says, by faith, by faith, by faith they did this, right? But in this one the narrative has changed. It's not by faith, it's by discipline. See, a lot of us we've been raised with, by faith you'll endure. No, by discipline you endure. You know what's sad today is that I've seen a lot of people who haven't been able to endure. And as I look at their life, I can also see because it was a lack of discipline. It wasn't a lack of church service attendance. It wasn't a lack of professing faith. It was a lack of discipline that rooted them so deeply in the Father that when the tree branches started to shake in the storms, they stood strong. We're halfway through one verse. Let's keep going. (laughs) For God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate sons and daughters. Let that sink in. Hey, if you don't have the discipline that shows sonship, you're not a son. See, these are things that once again, we don't, we don't say these things because they're real pointed and it's like, oh, did, is that really what he said? If you don't have discipline, you are illegitimate is what Paul just said. Let's keep reading. It says this. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the father of the spirit and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. I love that because a lot of us, if I were to ask you what a product of discipline is, you would look and say, just doing what I know I'm supposed to, to just follow God. No, discipline produces holiness. Holiness shared the Christ-like image. Sharing of a proximity that illuminates your life. Let's keep reading. It says this. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. We're going to keep reading, but in my opinion, this is an extremely overlooked, important aspect of Scripture that needs to be talked about. Most of us in our lives as Christians and believers have heard righteousness talked about. We've heard be righteous, be holy. But have we realized that righteousness produces peace? In my opinion, the world is looking for two things, fulfillment and peace. God brings both. However, the language we've used have subtracted both from the equation and then we say, well, you should still try it. We have to be people who communicate that God is not the complement; he's the completer. We have to be people who know how to speak to the fact that we pursue righteousness because righteousness produces peace. Peace is what we want. Peace is what we crave. Peace is what every marketing firm is selling. It's what every pill is promising. It is what every relationship we're hoping for peace. Righteousness produces Peace. Righteousness equals peace. How many of us have ever had that revelation? That to be rhythmically righteous would produce a peace in our hearts. That as scripture says, he gives a peace that surpasses all understanding. That he is the prince of peace. That righteousness brings a fruit that is peace. What am I saying to you today? Maybe the thing that you're looking for is found in the depth of the disciplines you're willing to practice. And what's fascinating to me today is that we can get around people who are so anxious, so tired and overworked, out of shape, and searching and striving for anything that would bring peace, not realizing that the greatest peace you could ever find is in the righteousness of God and the pursuit of your life unto that righteousness. Let's keep reading. Verse 12, therefore strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. Make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. I love the language of this because it's almost painting this picture of strengthening the weaknesses you have through the disciplined life of being a believer before it becomes pain that puts you out of joint in which you can't function anymore. That to, to to strengthen the hands and to make sure the limbs and the knees are ready to keep walking is to be aware that we must be pursuing a journey step by step in front of us and aware of weaknesses that may try to take us out of that journey. Let's keep reading. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. You want to know how you see God? Sanctification. You know what sanctification is? A fancy word for just pursuing a life that becomes more and more like God be holy as I am holy, sanctified. The process of this sanctification is this rhythmic discipline, an implementation of habits that says, God, I am not content from hearing, receiving, and leaving, but God, this must get inside me. I must become more like you. I must be changed into your image. I am fixated upon my creator, and as I trust he is the one who creates in my life, I want to see that creation come out of me. What am I challenging you today is that a lot of us want to see God, but very few of us want to submit to sanctification. Blessed are the pure in heart for they'll see God. How do you get a pure heart? You get close to the purest one. Let's keep reading. Pursue peace with all men. I'm reading this again. It's fine. And the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it, no one comes short of the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble. And by it, many defiled. I love this last little language. Don't come up short of grace because you've hung and grasped bitterness i love that this is like a, a thing that he's talking about and i, I want to challenge some people in this room i don't have enough time to talk about it but man i believe a lot of the times in church we're crying out for the grace of god crying for god to, to meet us and and at the same time god's like i cannot fill a life that is bitter but wanting grace you, you must release one to receive another And as sad as it is today, right, we want the grace-filled life without the bitterness not being present. Or we want the pure heart without actually having a pure heart. And so as we start talking about depth, discipline, sacrifice, and sustainability today, I pray that we are thinking practically about the challenges of Hebrews 12 so that maybe we're the ones who are remembered like the Hebrews 11. So today... How do we live on the collective mission? How do we live on this collective mission? Now what I'm going to do is I'm breaking down all four words and there are two components to each of the four words. So I'll do my best to break down those two words with the four components with square root of 12 minus. Uh, So anyway, the first one is this. Depth is daily. It is training to sense the spirit and being rooted in scripture. This is a day-to-day choice we must make. Time in the word of God. Time in the presence of God. You know what depth is? It's scripture and spirit. You want a life that goes deeper? Pursue the scriptures. Pursue the spirit. That is depth in a nutshell. If you will decide, how do I incorporate a life that intakes scripture and becomes more aware of the spirit? I was reading an incredible analogy um, that that the spirit of God is like water that surrounds a fish. Water that surrounds fish are both around them, within them, and everything they've ever known. They just aren't typically aware of it until they're taken out of the water. And they realize, oh, this is so much a part of me that I will die without it. See, this is the presence of God. It is, it is within us, it is around us, and it is everything and all things all at once. It's just if you'll see it, if you'll be aware of it, if you will frame your life in a way that intakes Scripture so the eyes are opened wider and the light can shine a little deeper. You know, there's a really good quote that challenged me. It's by a name, by the name of Langdon Gilney. What is natural to us as humans is not atheism. It is idolatry. And there's a whole nother segment that he talked about. But in it, he said atheism is too rigid. It is too narrow. It is too calibrated and calculated. But idolatry is something in every man's heart. Born into all of us is this idea. And what's sad to me is this. Typically, what we do within salvation and altar call moments in the typical Western context is we say, God, I want you to be Lord of my life. And we don't realize that we are professing lordship, inviting in the spirit to knock other idols off the pedestal and put himself as the only one. So the reason you feel pain, discomfort, there's a cost, sacrifice, all these things is God is confronting any idol and making that heart pure. What am I challenging you in today is that is truly, do you, are you okay with a life that is both rooted in this depth of scripture and spirit that confronts the idols that you have put inside that you don't even know are there? And are you willing to not only become aware of them, but also change them? And for some of us today, this is the sad thing. And I see it a lot in church is sometimes we only understand the anatomy of things the best way when they are fully broken and laid bare in front of us for us to see the shatteredness and the anatomy that made up that flawed thing. And for some of us today, we're walking through broken seasons where God has taken an idol or taken something out of our life, broken it in front of us so we could understand the anatomy and learn that that thing can never replace who he is to you. Second thing is this. Disciplines prioritize the rhythmic practice of being present in the sanctuary and a life of community which engages and invites other believers in for the journey we are all on. We must make direct choices to confront our life and change it If a lack of discipline and commitment are labels, we have attached to our walk with God. If you notice depth, what I started with, scripture and spirit, disciplined, the next layer I'm adding, sanctuary and community. You know, what's funny is I think that a lot of the times when people come to church, what they're looking for is how do I grow the fastest? How do I get roots the deepest, the quickest and give me kind of that thing that I can like put the miracle growing. But what you don't realize is this, is that your roots actually, they, it's not about as much going down as finding things around that you can connect to that'll keep you upright. There's a great example of this that I know some people have maybe heard, but the California redwoods, the oldest trees in the world. What's fascinating is scientists study them. They found out that the root systems don't go actually super deep that you would think for trees that are thousands of years old. What's fascinating is it's one of the only trees that are out there that their roots don't go down, they grow out. And when they grow out, when they find another root system of a redwood, they intertwine. And so what happens is is when one redwood tree is there, its root system might be connected to dozens of redwoods around it to where if one storm came through that could knock out just its root system, now it stands because it's got everybody else holding it up. What am I trying to say to you? I'm trying to say this, the Christian community and people who are like-minded on the journey... Locked in with you. See, it's not about growth. It's about strength. And a lot of the times we want growth, but God wants strength. And and strength will come from growth, but strength in numbers, strength in vulnerability, strength in accountability, strength in I'm with this in this with you. Strength that says, I I promise we're going to get through it. See, that's the thing about it is we are uh, the most isolated relationally and devoid of relationship ever historically right now because of technology. So the challenge to you is this. If all you're going to do is wait for somebody to pursue you and never put yourself out there and pursue someone else, you're always going to be isolated. In community it's about finding those who you respect or like minded or just finding anybody who bleeds for Christ and say let's do it together the second component sanctuary it's been debated for a long time is the church important the physical building. Why? And it's great. I love when people start thinking critically about this stuff. Why? Because the church historically, it does make sense. It wasn't, a, it wasn't the building when it says the church in the New Testament. It was the Greek word ecclesia, the called out ones. These, these city civic leaders that were called into government seats that would then stand and contend for their cities and the issues and plot out plans and direction. You know what? I, my counter to that is this. In my opinion, the church is important, not just because I'm a pastor, but I'm a product of church. But I always ask people who say, you know, I don't need the church. I am the church. I always ask them, you know, what do you think? What was Jesus's first words ever in scripture? If you know the story, Jesus's mother loses him. He's a young boy. Many believe anywhere from 13 to 16 years old. She finds out that he's stuck behind at the temple after the Passover celebration and is, and is schooling religious leaders. And she comes up, the very first words we have of Jesus ever speaking on earth. Didn't you know you would find me in my father's house? And this is taken from another translation. Consumed with all things him. Do you think it might be mildly important that Jesus' first words ever spoken pointed to his need to be in the sanctuary of God. What am I challenging you today? See, a lot of us, we have things we debate. Do I need community or do I want people to come in? Do I want people to get close? Oh, I don't really have time for church or man, when I can get around to it. What am I saying to you today is depth and discipline, it's not just choices of if it fits, it's choices of if it's life or death to you. Because at some point, it will become that. If neglected long enough, infection spreads everywhere in a way that wipes out the host species. I want to challenge you today. What is your depth in the scripture and in the spirit? What is your discipline in community and in the sanctuary? And the next one is this. Sacrifice is how you serve others and practice generosity. These are both in the church construct, but also in your day-to-day world and life. These cost the most to our comfort, so therefore they are embraced the least in our culture. I'm going to play devil's advocate, and if you've been here any length of time, you know that you've maybe heard me say this. I'm going to play devil's advocate because the church leadership and hierarchy, we have not modeled a good, I would say, theology or language around sacrifice. Meaning this, typically we know when you would go to church historically, it's serve and give, serve and give, serve and give, serve and give, serve and give. Serve and give. But what a lot of people don't realize is that if you serve and give, but you don't have depth and discipline, you, that's not enough. Not only is it not enough, it will breed a skepticism and a cynicism against those who just ask for your time and your money but don't have any direction for how life can be more than that. So depth, the Spirit and the, and the Scriptures with sacrifice is a great start, but you have to have depth, discipline to understand healthy sacrifice and then live sustainably. If you have depth and you have sacrifice, you will burn out. Because the discipline is the framework that holds the building up. If you have rigid discipline and sacrifice, but you don't have a depth in that spirit in scripture, you're going to turn to legalism. So how you get burnout? A life of depth and a ton of sacrifice. How you get legalism? A ton of discipline and a ton of sacrifice. How you get sustainability? Depth. Of a heart that is tender pruned and steeped in the ways of God discipline a life that is committed to the orthodox practices of being a follower of Jesus that understands then that the foundation and I need to say this to some people who have depth and discipline but don't sacrifice the foundation of our entire belief system is sacrifice what do you think the gospel is it's about a man who sacrificed everything so you could have everything And as sad as it is today, we want to be believers that have depth and discipline, but no sacrifice. Or we're on the complete opposite side where all we know is sacrifice and we don't have any depth or discipline. What would it be like to create an ecosystem in which all these things work together and there is a sustainable walk with God? that doesn't go as the economy goes, that doesn't go as the political landscape goes, that doesn't go as what society or how fallen is the world and dark, but just stays rhythmic, stays functional, stays flowing. See, this is what we've been invited into. Sacrifice today is not a gift, talent, and resource. It's a willingness, obedience, and posture that just says god you have my absolute everything. And my challenge to you is this, is some of us we've been asking god, god, why do i not have your fullness? And it's just because god doesn't have ours. See, sacrifice is about god, do you have the full of me? So, we want the full of god, but we don't want to give the full of ourselves. Today, May we be rhythmic in the practice of first being filled, but making sure we're also giving the full of our hearts to him. The last point is this. Sustainability is when you've been proved faithful in the little and start to experience the much. The much, to me, are the sacred practices we do not talk enough about but are directly tied to how sustainable our walk with Christ becomes. The big three sustainable practices to me are Sabbath, solitude, and fasting prayer. And fun fact, this is a really shameless plug that I segued perfect into. You know what we're talking about on Wednesday nights? Our sustainable practices. Practicing the way for four weeks we are focused on Sabbath. Then the next four weeks, we're focused on prayer. Then the next four weeks, we're focused on fasting. Nine different sustainable practices. And I want to encourage you, if you're free on Wednesday nights to come, to get plugged into a season of Life group and to start living out these sustainable practices. Because I want to say this to you. We don't need people who will just burn hot. We need people who will never stop burning. And as sad as it is today, I see a lot of people who burn hot. But I don't know very many who never stop burning. And what we're trying to build here is this rhythmic practice of people who will just always make sure their light is burning. Their flame is going. Their oil is not running out. Their hearts are in tune with Him. You know, for me, it's funny because I think that even one of the things that we hear quite often is this idea in Christian circles that the season of knowing God in a deep, deep way is just that kind of first formative few years. But I don't I want to say this to you today. I've seen God do more in my last three years than in my previous 28 or 29 I would also say this. If you look at Jesus' life, 30 years of nothing and three years of everything. What am I trying to say to you today is that I believe that this idea that that this season of being on fire season of godliness season of man first love and encounter with Jesus. Those are great, but you were created for so much more than just the first few years of getting to know the spirit in the presence of a living God. Sustainability is when you burn hotter and you burn brighter and you burn hotter and you burn brighter and you burn hotter. And you burn brighter. You want me to keep going because I can. So I challenge you today. Depth in the scripture and the spirit. Discipline in the sanctuary and community. Sacrificing in our generosity. In our time for others. and sustainability. Sabbath. Solitude fasting, sacred practices that what happens is is you start to get a taste and you can't stop trying to drink. In closing, I felt like to shout out just three resources for some of those who are like, man, this was a great service, so what is the practical element? Great. Practicing the Way on Wednesday nights, three books. These three books, one of them is called Common Rule, Justin Ely, incredibly practical book on how you live these things up. If If you're a... uh, family with Kids, Habits of the Household is the same author, incredible book, um, Justin Ely that, that writes Common Rule and Habits of the Household. And the last one is this, one of my favorites, super overlooked, Invitation to a Journey by M. Robert Muhammad. Invitation to a Journey. I want to encourage you, there are resources, press in because there is depth for you today. There's an invitation to discipline to you today I hope that you know that you are to sacrifice in healthiness today and man I hope for everybody that you live sustainably let's stand to our feet nobody moving around I'm just going to pray this over us in, in kind of quiet solitude as the band comes up Whatever your posture for receiving is, a habit we have here is to read a passage, uh, read a prayer over people that is um, a synopsis of the message. So. Today, would you give us strength, God? Strength in the hands that are weak and the feet that are feeble to address the weakness of our humanity before it becomes the pain we feel of just this fallen world. Oh God, make us holy today. Holy Spirit, would you challenge our pursuit of depth in you? Would you convict our level of discipline, mold us to embrace sacrifice so we may then live sustainable? God, you are not a complement to our lives. You are what completes them. We are not looking for self-help to become a better version. We are looking to be made new creation. We are here not to produce, but to be so aware of the presence of you in our lives that it produces the things our very souls desire. We choose the presence today over our needs and wants, over our yearning and craving. We trust that when we choose the creator, he creates in us. Today, God, may we be steeped in these words, reminded of the importance of these words, and start to form our lives around these words. Depth for today, discipline for our life, sacrifice for our world sustainability for our soul we lean in today believing we serve a god of the ordinary that can be found in our